0: Talking about you got this, and you got that, got that. And you murder this one and murder that one yeah. talking all that, Talk bullshit. that bullshit. bullshit I'ma put it to you like this, yo. This is for the nerds, this is for the brainiacs, this is what we
1: deserve. Go ahead and play it back. You ain't gonna touch me. You're not gon' do nothing. You are not above me. I bet you wish you was me. I know
2: that I know
3: what is poppin everybody and welcome back to another special episode of the only friends podcast well you know it's me and my only friends which includes but it's not limited to
0: my boy hunt what's poppin baby hey conrad i can't see your face over there you want mm. you want to Reveal yourself a little bit. You're hiding yourself. Relax, no. relax. He's a fucking okay.
2: tell box, man. He needs all the help he can get. You know.
0: Well, I, <laughs> I feel like, like, there's, like there's a lot of energy. You know, there's a lot of tells to be gotten from Conrad's energy levels. Yeah. Hey,
1: you missed an opportunity to say it's me and my COVID friends.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> COVID's, over. Well, you well, like, no, no, COVID's over. You look like You look like patient it, zero. That'd be only yeah. if I was
3: like making a joke about it. Like I'm standing. I stand. Two
1: thousand people died of COVID last month, Burke. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Is that a lot? I don't know, two thousand people is that <laughs> a lot. I don't know. Did a lot of people die in nine eleven? <laughs> <What? laughs> wow. We're starting <laughs> don't off. Don't get we him started, bro. We gotta we gotta
4: do <laughs> don't get the turtle started on the. On two thousand
2: people died last month from a lot of fucking things. Yep. What are we talking
0: about here? I'm just We're gonna, gonna like come back tomorrow and let you guys do this topic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's fun to just stir some stuff up. Wow. <laughs> Speaking of which. I mean not not
3: to say that it was only. Twenty nine hundred people have passed away in um, September eleventh. But yeah, it was, I thought it was more for some reason.
1: Yeah. Well,
2: I have to tell you that these are apples and oranges, and I don't know why we're bringing what, the two of them up. What a great
0: way to start a podcast! Let's just go straight to nine eleven, <laughs> straight to talking about nine eleven. It was in two minutes. I mean, should sure uh, happen. We man. don't plan this. Hey,
1: do you think it was an inside job, huh <laughs>
0: Stop. <laughs> All right, let's, let's, let's move just, let's just <laughs> i I just want to clarify. I'm, I'm not going to leave that line there, because it makes it sound like you think I'm actually <laughs> believing that. Absolutely fucking not. I'm not one of those guys. I don't know. That's <laughs> not what you said off air. Oh, there okay. <laughs> yeah, we go. I'm joking, I'm here
3: joking. Here we go. I'm just <laughs> kidding. Ryan, is he's Kanye? waving uh, off the people. Where's
1: Kanye? I wouldn't do that. Kanye's in here somewhere. <laughs> He's our next guest. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, we'll have a, we're will a we going to have a fun show today. Obviously, uh, it's impossible to ignore everything that's been happening with uh, Twitter losing its mind, pretty much. It's not a good week for the old guard. I got to tell you. It's not, the, not the a good week. The boomers have
0: gone insane. <laughs> They've gone insane. Uh, you They're know,
2: becoming senile. You know what it is? Uh, and, and I can speak to this a little bit because we're not all that far apart. It's it's difficult to age gracefully, man. And I don't mean like physically. Like, I mean, it's difficult <laughs> to find and carve out your your space in this world as you continually get more and more displaced from where you previously were. Mm-hmm. And I think we're seeing a lot of that where it's like, you know, guys like Daniel and Phil, they have been the leaders of this industry, the face of this community for the better part of two decades. And they've earned that right to kind of sit upon the Mount Rushmore of, of poker. The problem is, is that doesn't make you a pundit on everything in the world. And I know that this is like the running joke that you know poker players think that they know everything about everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like, to some degree, the logic and reasoning and critical thinking that it takes to be a good poker player does have applications outside of this space. And so, you know, we do hold our own opinions in pretty high regard. But the problem is, is that I think we're so used to making rapid decisions in game that we forget we're
0: allowed to take a moment and, you know, take a beat.
2: Yeah. Take a beat, perhaps.
0: Yeah. You don't you don't always have to express every thought on social media that comes in your mind. Instantly. Yeah.
2: Instantly it's like these guys just you know, they're bored and scrolling and it's just like, Oh fuck my
0: fuck Ike, man. Ike's wearing a mask.
3: Yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, saw this
0: guy smoke a cigarette. Yeah, Are you like, kidding me? It, there's a difference between doing like putting a random spontaneous tweet out there which is about like a movie you just watched, versus putting a random spontaneous tweet which is like calling out another player for something completely innocuous and causing a big dispute between people. Listen,
3: listen, 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 listen. <laughs> you can take I the mask know. off. What? You can take the mask off. I stand with Ike. Yeah, we got the point.
0: Um that's
3: real
2: rich coming from you, Burke. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I wasn't going to be I, I, the one to say I, it. Hey, I'm, I'm, I, glad, I to say I'm glad you're all having a good time. It took me three days before I put that tweet out that dunk on Jonathan for fucking making a, an egregious tweet. I, I sit on my things very, very long. I also run them through the, the group chat plenty of times. I very rarely just spontaneously tweet. Now, my drafts, my drafts are a different story. The day I die and you guys get a hold of my passwords and send the drafts out... That's going to be a stream of consciousness that maybe the world's not ready for.
3: Wow! Um, next time you leave your Twitter, open, say, I'll just do doing? You don't have
2: to die. <laughs> no, no, no! Your drafts stay on your device. Ah, uh, fuck! You gotta, you gotta do it for my phone. You that's that's phone. where the gold is. All right, all right. There's not much going on on the the cold store on the desktop, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's like you know, uh, the the thing is like, <laughs> it's it's just it's hilarious because the hypocrisy is so rich in this one and. Uh if it weren't for last week this would have just like been nothing and it would have been just a typical day on Twitter where like people say things out of pocket they get hashed out and they move on but like you know when Daniel makes this crass joke about how Ike has uh, like he's seen Ike outside the Pogo so- studio smoking a cigarette and doesn't go to the gym that doesn't mean he doesn't care about his health like first of all <laughs> the the i get it like i understand where the humor is supposed to come from it's in the irony right like but you have to you have to really craft this joke well in order for it to land and the the issue then becomes that you're exactly what you were accusing everybody else of of being which is bullying right Mm -hmm. and like i don't think this is bully behavior because whatever you're you're poking fun but i also like am giving you a massive benefit of the doubt here that maybe ike won't when he reads it and in that thread, you know, he basically just did call out that behavior for exactly what it is. He's like, you know, once I went through the back and forth of like Ike saying like that actually didn't even happen, you know, whatever the case may be, um he said something to the effect of like you know, just stop it like you've not only have you never seen me smoke cigarettes but like you actually did tweet that just to make fun of me, you know like uh it's it, he said like uh, it, it's down in the thread, but he said, but carry on. Um, yeah, but yeah, carry on light-heartedly, lightheartedly making shit up to insinuate I have some ulterior motive behind uh, besides health for masking. Um, and it's like, now Daniel has to go on and on and on and explain it was just a joke. It was just a joke. You know, why, why can't you just take a joke? Yada, yada, yada. And uh, it's it's really hard not to point out the hypocrisy here because you're actually targeting something personal to the guy, right? Like, uh, my understanding is that Ike's wife is immunocompromised or something to that effect, and that's a big inspiration behind why he wears the mask, which is now a pretty sensitive subject, and you're, you know, you're just taking shots at the guy. Whereas like the whole thing that de- devolved between Daniel and I based off of a tweet I sent at Jonathan was literally just like appear in the space where I don't agree with with a strategic thing right like that's not personal but it comes off as uh somehow this big bully tactic where i'm tearing down a competitor for the benefit of my own good and whatever the case may be it's like you can frame things however the fuck you want and we have the opportunity to give people the benefit of the doubt or not and that's kind of like where this this thread devolved into it's like okay well you don't get the benefit of the doubt anymore because you're the guy who's on top the mountain shaking his fist saying i'm here to stand up for all the little people it's like well now who's here to stand up for Ike, right? It's like, th- this is this is just complete and utter nonsense. And the whole thing, if you guys are unfamiliar with what we're talking about, uh, to, to to lay the groundwork, was from an interview that Helmuth did with uh, Poker.org two days ago or yesterday, I think. They have a new podcast coming out. Uh, they gave a nice little breakdown here in this 39-second clip, so we'll let you guys hear what the actual quote was should poker players be allowed to wear masks at the table that's just a tactic and a strategy that's
0: not good for poker
2: phil helmuth called out ike haxton and his use of a mask in a recent
0: interview with poker org he's one of the best in the world right now but he has to take that white mask off he's using it to give himself an advantage helmuth admitted that he himself had benefited
1: from using a mask but it was bad for poker when there's six people left in a tournament
0: you, you don't really have any real concerns for covid
1: phil stated that wearing a mask is way more beneficial for covering up poker tells than anything else there are people that are just tell boxes and maybe ike haxton is a tell box what do you guys think should poker players be allowed to wear a ma- mask i don't think ike haxton is a tell box there's, i think there's a, a very
0: important uh concept that both phil and nagrani need to be aware of it's the phrase when you come at the king, you best not miss. Mm-hmm. If you're going to come at Ike Haxton over something poker-related, like you better have a really fucking good argument for what you're saying because this guy won $16 million last year. Right. So when, when, well, that's when because Phil, of the mask. Yeah, like, when Phil is out there saying that Ike is like, oh, he's got such a big advantage. Like, Really? You think that's the reason this guy won $16 million? Like, I mean, the on. only difference between Ike's mask and Phil's is that Phil uses his hands. Yeah. And I, mm-hmm. I don't even think I know what sure. the top of Phil's head looks like because he wears a baseball cap to cover half his face literally every single time he plays. Yeah. And sunglasses. Right. It's crazy. It's really crazy to me.
2: Yeah. I think it's a really weird out-of-pocket thing. <laughs> out of pocket. Uh, it's it's like, so out-of-pocket. It's just wild because it's like uh, there's really only uh, – I, I don't know. Like Framing it is like it's giving him an advantage at the, at the table. I feel like it's just a projection where it's like how Muth feels – a little bit insecure in certain environments, perhaps like maybe he feels a little bit out of uh, a fish out of water in some of these high rollers. And he would prefer to pacify himself by wearing a mask. Uh, I mean, a lot of people have this effect. Like if you're new to the game and you wear sunglasses at the table, you kind of feel invisible. Right. And it gives you that passive, uh, that, that, that certain pacification where, is that even a word Uh where you feel yeah. pacified and you, you don't feel like you're as nervous. You're not expressing as many tells, whatever your per but like, we're talking about the the elite of the elite. Like you're not going to gain an edge off of Ike. And even if you do, um I don't know how much EV you're really recouping when he knows the game tree through and through and like you're relying on somehow seeing something in his face and guessing based off of like where you've gotten to at this point in the decision tree. Right. People like, that are so confident in their actions don't give tells.
1: That you literally took the words out of my mouth. It just doesn't right. happen. Right. That that is that's 100% true. It's so it's like he's so he knows exactly what he's doing. He's not like oh my god I have a really big hand like I'm going to make I'm right. going to give off a tell. You no, think no it, he's just like I have this hand. This is the board. This is the SPR. This is what I do.
0: And a, then that's it. You think a guy who's played as much as poker as Ike is like on the, like he's got these Oreo cookie tails on the river. It's like when he's <laughs> when he's three X potting as a bluff, he like does a certain thing with his mouth and then he, he doesn't do that when he's when he's got value. Right. Like that's it's right. complete bullshit. It's
4: interesting because like there was uh benefit like call it not devil's advocate, but fun point. Uh Makita and Linus played a hand in a live tournament where Linus goes all in on the river and then Makita looks at Linus and Linus kind of looks uncomfortable and Makita's kind of just like you're making me want to call you right that now. That hand was so great. Was like, you great ma- you're making me want to call you because you look uncomfortable as if you don't know if the bluff is good or not. Mm-hmm. Where if you knew
0: he was, it was a good bluff, he wouldn't. It was feel a that pretty bad a line
2: hand, too. So, I think it was like ace king high versus like king queen high or something like it that. It was
0: like a ja- I think it was a three bet pot and it was a, like a jack 10x blank, blank, blank run out. Mm. And yeah, Linus, like, check raised and just tripled off and Makita called down with ace king high I think yeah I think so too I think there's a difference in what I was saying here because Linus is strictly plays online mostly so he's just
2: like he's not used to and I think that's what Phil's trying to frame Ike as 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 just being like an online guy that somehow he he said so his tweet says no one should be able to cover their face unless you use your own hands to do it this isn't online poker tells (laughs) matter in live poker it is a skill to hide your tells and another skill to read your opponents tells and it's like okay I'll give you that, right? Let's spot you that one. How much are you gaining? Like how much? How much? Do- how much less does Ike win last year if he wasn't allowed to wear a mask?
0: Yeah, this is my point. I like,
2: think he wins like twenty more dollars, actually. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: Whatever the cost of the mask. Was. Right. It's,
0: it's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just. It's, it's just. About
2: yeah. right. I mean, it's just like it's. It's beyond silly, and this is where you know, circling all the way back to. Uh, it's very difficult to age gracefully. This is, this is where I think the conversation uh, comes back to. is like, at the end of the day, nobody's ever, or nobody should ever, question the greatness of Phil Hellmuth, Daniel Negreanu, and what they mean to this game, and to this community at large. Like, again, they are the faces of the Mount Rushmore of poker, especially, like, that, you know, are still around. Um, but whenever you are so displaced while still trying to do the thing that you've been great at for many, many decades and the advancements have all but passed you by, it feels like an old man shaking their fist at clouds, trying to get everybody to hear you and, you know, basically elevate you and validate you as to being correct as to why you're not performing to the same level that you used to, right? Like, D-Nex is very gracious. He posts his results every single year. Year in and year out, right? Without rebuys? No, no, no. He, whatever. Doesn't matter. He does post them with, with rebuys. He just doesn't count it towards the ROI. Point is, uh, if, you, if you take the time and you look back at like his last seven years, um, I think Jason Strouser, uh quote tweeted uh, Negreta's last seven years or whatever. It's a net of like a million dollars profit, right? And that's not counting the heads up match. So it's actually probably pretty close to break even. When you look at like how many big scores that includes, how many, uh, you know, seven figure final tables and all this other stuff, it's it's like half of his career earnings in the last seven years for an ROI of like 3%, which... Isn't throwing shade 3% in these high rollers is, you know, a very noble ROI, but it's also like super low volume. So, you know, is he winning 10%? Is he winning zero? We don't really know. Point being is that it's not, you know, a million dollars over seven years. Like that's a good eight months in the cash streets. Like it's not the 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 years of old where for twenty years straight Daniel and Phil profited a million dollars every single year. Right? Like they're playing really highly competitive fields now where sure they might be winning like five to ten million a year in
0: cashes, but the total profit might be like a couple hundred thousand. And let's also be specific that Daniel's playing these fields. I don't see Phil in the two hundred and fifty K buy ins, you know. He I, he sprinkles. I, he sprinkles. Okay, because I was wondering. I saw this tweet. and I was wondering, like, when was the last time Phil and Ike actually played the same tournament? You know, because yeah. most of the time when Ike's wearing the mask, it's in high rollers, and Phil's not in those. Well, are. Phil
2: will tell you. Phil played and cashed like eleven straight buy-ins of twenty. I don't know what the fuck the stats are, but <laughs> uh, and, and I'm not trying to say this to slam Phil. Like, uh, look, his competitiveness at at this point in his career is admirable. The point is that I'm trying to get at is like at some point they have to look themselves in the mirror and say like I'm not at the point of being at the top of this field like I used to be right like from a play standpoint from a play standpoint from a, a bro we play for fucking money like from a sheer return standpoint if you're not making nearly as much money like you know there are guys playing 10 20 40 that are bringing more home a year on average like you know call a spade a spade. And that's not to say that, that, that this is somehow a slight or a shot at their ability. Clearly, it's not. They're playing in the most competitive environments in the world. But you at some point have to like look yourself in the mirror and say, like, okay, like, this is my golden years. Like It's, it's my swan song. You know, I'm not playing nearly as much. I have a nice established life here. I still get to be the face of the community. So why don't I do that more actively? And with purpose rather than trying to, you know, uphold this prior image that I've created out of my ego where I'm just the the end all be all of this game. Like I'm the staple. I'm what people look to when they want to see what a elite poker player looks like. It's like, no, that's Ike, right? Like Mm -hmm. that's we've moved on. And rightfully so, like that's Ike, that's the next gen of online guys that are now moving into live. And no matter how much you want to take shots at their inability to navigate the social realm or the psychological realm the way that we had to 20 years ago, it doesn't fucking matter anymore because they know down to a goddamn tenth of a percentage point what frequency they're supposed to be raising each candidate on the flop. And you have no fucking clue. So when that holds true, at some point, you just have to pass the torch. And that's the one thing about this game that I, I feel is uh, most problematic where you don't see it in sports because at some point the body gives out and you just have to move on. It's so, it's, in sports, you got to retire. Yeah, you just have to move on and you become a legend of the game, right? These guys are legends of the game. They're Hall okay. of Famers. They're so far above the fray. That their talent shouldn't matter any longer. And that's not to say that they shouldn't still play. Like, bro, you've earned it. Go out and do your thing. Just, you know, start start talking about the, the soft skills of the game. Start talking about the intricacies of the community, how we can grow. Be an ambassador in that regard. Stop fucking puffing your chest with your results because they don't matter anymore.
0: Yeah, and I, I also I don't understand the desire to... Like, there's always been this, I think, ever since online poker became, like, a source of some of the best players in the world, there's been this desire to just, like, shit on anybody who came through the online environment even once they get to the point, like Ike has, of Ike has been playing live events for 10 years. Like, mm-hmm. Ike has been longer than 10 right.
2: years. yeah Ike, table PCA in 2006, 2005? Yeah, like, uh, that, Ike has
0: been around so long at this point. Just because he started online, why is there a desire to, like, shit on him from, from people who are older than him? I, mean, I really don't
3: understand it. But what it's worth, everybody started online at that point. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. everybody that's, like, we could be, would be considered the new guard, I guess mm-hmm. you want to call it, or whatever the hell you want to call it would had started online like 2000 yeah early 2000 it's
0: the same as it's this dismissive thing of people they used to just be like oh the the online guys like they're the online wizards you know like they're they're just like i think it was antonio used to say wizards in like a kind of Mm -hmm. derogatory way you know yeah and i i I don't get where that comes from other than just like that impulse like you say book of they're getting older people are coming through who are coming from a different background to them and succeeding in a different way (laughs) And it's there's some kind of weird resentment there, and I I don't get it. I wow. mean, uh, so it looks like Ike's
4: first cash was second in the PCA for eight seventy in two thousand seven. Yep,
2: yeah, yeah, I A remember that very well. Our friend John John Ford was at that. Is thing. that he when he
4: was? Is that when he was like in the
2: wind in the rain? Yeah, yeah. it was <laughs> Ike, Jay Little. Uh, who won that?
0: some anonymous like some random guy who didn't stick around i think
2: no 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 a, uh ryan doubt was at that final table ryan doubt oh, oh, won it oh it was okay. yeah it was ike versus yeah. ryan doubt ryan
4: doubt ike Haxson, robert ford Mizraki little frank rusnak antonio Barbero,
0: yeah. scott clemens one yeah. of the yeah. most clemens. iconic hands of all time the four the, deuce the, the, uh, yeah whatever it was was that ike, ike
2: bluff with four deuce? He, he's
0: three-bet bluffs all in with like <laughs> three deuce or four deuce yeah. or something and he he's like re-raise all in yeah. <laughs> it's such a great hand Yeah, end.
2: ryan doubt had like eight high or something yeah like it was a great hand yeah. um yeah I, I mean you know just to to put a bow on this i i think uh we didn't really even talk that much about it but like it's insane to uh to poke fun at people for what they choose to wear what they you know what i mean like Wear whatever you want. Yeah, like, I, I understand if you're playing, like... <laughs>
4: Unless I wear shorts on the podcast.
2: Well, that's ridiculous. Those, <laughs> those pants are also goddamn ridiculous. Pug, podcast podcast attire like the tire is different to poker table um, attire, you know? But, yeah, it's like, I, I, in general, I don't care. I understand, like, if you're, like, uh, a cash rag who's playing in the same pool every single day, like, you, you want to kind of encourage people to stop wearing headphones. You want to encourage them to be a little bit more active and social in the environment. But, again, <laughs> that's just, like bigger picture stuff like i think that's what helmuth was trying to get across right like to give him the benefit of the doubt he was saying like this mask is bad for poker but then he steered it into a selfish lens of it's bad for poker because Ike could be giving off tells and his players at the and and his competitors at the table should be able to pick up on those tells yada, yada yada Well, no like if it's bad for poker it's only bad for poker in the sense that it looks weird i mean this
4: is kind of bad for poker too right (laughs)
2: <laughs> I, honestly, no. I think that's great for poker. Like, I think that's great for poker. Do you think a mask is different? I don't think a mask... I, I think it's neutral. I don't think it... Right. I, I don't mean, think right. it has any... I, here's what I think. And I think Hunt Hun has opinions on this, too, based off of a tweet he put out. But I think the majority of people who think they know what's good for poker have no fucking clue. Mm-hmm. And this goes from operators all the way down to players. I hear some of the dumbest ideas <laughs> get thrown out. Under the guise of it will alienate recreationals if we did something differently, right? The big blind ante is the is the easiest one to point to. The World Series was so goddamn slow to adopt it because they were convinced that amateurs would not play in events with big blind anties. Yeah, and since the big blind ante, the numbers have only shot up.
0: Yeah, it's it's like I again I I think the tweet I put out I think you're referring to the one where I was like the the people who seem to have the most opinions about what it what poker should or shouldn't do or what's wrong with poker and all these things they seem to be the people who who just don't play a lot you know right. I, I don't see the people who are like playing every day the guys grinding the high rollers i don't see them complaining about like oh we have to change this we should change this this is bad for poker that's bad for poker it it just seems to be the people like a lot of people who kind of you know maybe they're a recreational player that plays like once a week or Uh, you know, somebody who's, you know, kind of a part-time pro, like not really a full pro that doesn't, you know, they, they're a businessman or something. They have a lot of strong opinions on what poker should do differently and how the game should change and everything. But the people who actually play the highest volume very rarely seem to express those ideas in terms of all these negative things about poker, you know?
2: Yeah. Well, speaking of strong opinions, Guap, I'm going to kind of put you on the spot here a little bit. Uh, Dankness just dropped a... New Dankness drop. He just dropped the a, dropped a tough combo. I haven't heard it yet, so we're, we're, we're taking a risk here.
0: Oh, boy. Who's it just, with? Who's the tough combo with? I mean, Dean, Eggs, oh, Dean Eggs
2: and Phil. Oh, yeah, wow. Obviously. Okay. I think we might have to have this tough combo air live I, I, here. I think we might. Mm-hmm. Let's just pray it's safe for the children.
5: It's time. Um, it's been a minute, but uh, it's time. It's time to have a tough one with... Two of the greatest, most successful, most famous poker players of all time, Phil Hellmuth and Daniel Negreanu. Look, I don't know if there are two players that have done more to grow poker, increase its popularity. I don't know if there are two more famous poker players in the world than you guys, maybe Phil Ivey, Doyle. But recently, both you guys came after Ike for wearing a mask. Phil, you said he's clearly doing it to gain an edge. Um, And Daniel, you called him out for only taking it off to smoke cigarettes and never go into the gym. Uh, I mean, it's pretty obvious what's going on here, guys. Like you guys have both for a long time in poker been seen as two of the best players in the game maybe not necessarily always by people within poker, but always by the outside public. You talk about great poker players, Phil Helmuth, Daniel Negreanu, and you guys are both extremely successful, hardworking, and you both have massive egos. And the truth is, is you guys ain't the best anymore. Like, I'm sorry, Phil, but you're not even fucking close, man. <laughs> like, like, I mean, if you are, you know, one of the best tournament players in the world, there are big buy-ins running every day of the year you can play them you can go to triton you can play 100ks you can play 200ks you know you're just you're not even remotely close to the level of these guys and if you were something tells me you'd be out there winning tournaments daniel i mean you have done an incredible job like absolutely phenomenal job you have, I don't know how you've stayed, it's a testament to your work ethic, to your natural ability, your hand-reading skills, the fact that you've been able to have the type of scores in these type of fields over the past few years, I can't give you enough respect and you deserve to be certainly in the conversation with these guys as long as you keep doing this, but I mean, let's be honest, you guys are sick and tired of Ike and guys like him winning all the money, being better than you and that's what this is about. It's not about Ike's health. I, I, does anybody even consider that maybe he has some health issues? That maybe that's why he's wearing the mask. Like, is that even a remote possibility, or it's just for edge and and you know to block his carotid rate or something? What did I, what did I just say? <laughs> <laughs> that's almost how you say that. Oh uh, so uh, man,
2: I was just about to say that that was uh, that was the most serious. Uh, tough mm-hmm. combo I think he had, had to end it with a. He yeah. ended it nicely. Yeah, uh, I love
0: I love making a three minute video and ending it with what did I just say? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic.
2: Uh, I I thought that was a really good job of of summarizing kind of the the overarching point. Like mm-hmm. at some point, man, like just enjoy the spoils of your labor. You know, like you guys have done it. You're everything that we all aspire to be and will never actually get to achieve. So the next best thing we can do is try to be really fucking good at this game and make a bunch of money. Like, that's, that's our only hopes. None of us are going to be, none of us, maybe not even Ike included, are going to make that Mount Rushmore of poker. None of us are going to make hundreds of millions uh, based off of what we've done in poker, right? And, like, by all accounts, you know, Helmuth and, and, uh, and Daniel have, right, <laughs> through the sponsorships and the other deals that they've been able to wield, uh, that's not going to happen for us. So, like, you guys have that, On lock, no one's coming for the throne. But you know, we're gonna get really good at the fucking game and try to make more money. And then the best we can do. Yeah. And like we're gonna point out whenever people who aren't very good at the game are like talking out of pocket. Because that's the right that we've earned in, in putting in a lot of work. Um, but I digress. Uh speaking of people who have put in a lot of work and are excellent at the game. Jason Kuhn made an announcement today that he and GG have gone their separate ways. He just put out a very simple statement saying, I wish them continued success. Uh, This, I guess, uh, I had kind of... Personally, I had kind of seen the writing on the wall, you know, just having talked to Jason. He's not a very public guy. He's doing his thing behind the scenes. He's getting to play, you know, wherever it is that he's getting to play. And I think that... uh, especially more recently. I don't know how much the, the most recent stuff with Gigi weighed on his decision, but I imagine whenever you're getting your feet held to the fire, when you're just basically off Twitter 24 seven and people are calling for answers, like what's going on, why are you not speaking on, you know,
4: cannot speak if i speak i'm in big trouble he Do you, you know where that comes from yeah, soccer yeah yeah, soccer. yeah
0: okay uh, yeah. you have been so indoctrinated of like all the memes that come from soccer just because you spend so much time with pads it's great yeah. <laughs> it's so great <laughs>
2: uh but yeah like you know for jason i i think it's a lot of like what we just spoke to where i imagine he has a new family he's done really well for himself he probably just doesn't want to deal with this shit anymore you know and it, it takes a lot to be a proper ambassador uh not just for the, for the site that you're representing, but, you know, for the community as a whole, once you're put into that situation of power, which he seems to be uh, being replaced by Fedor. Usurped?
4: Usurped. it's not usurped it uh, is. Yeah, not really usurped
2: I don't know that he like cut his yeah, head usurped off right impl- yeah implies <laughs> that there was some
0: sort of coup by Fedor <laughs> right. where he's like managed to get Jason out and install himself you know? well, Fedor announced <laughs> uh, this fucking uh, uh, I'm maybe excited, that's what happened I'm yeah. excited
2: to announce my new role as poker integrity ambassador for GG which for what it's worth I don't know that that was necessarily Jason's role prior um, I don't know th- this for all accounts I-, I think is like a new label um, but you know we'll see uh, ensuring fair play and security will be my top priority. I'm in direct contact with the security team and will involve myself more in the processes and direct directly contribute to enhance the security of the games on GG. I understand that the current environment comes with a lot of challenges in that regard with advancing technology, but I believe it's of utmost importance to continuously improve security on online poker sites. I'll do my best and support uh, to support and further that cause. So this is kind of a big thing because um
4: <laughs> Just make sure to keep your cards secure if you're a live wreck against Fedor.
0: Huh? <laughs> He's referencing uh, the whole looking at people's cards thing with oh, Fador. Right. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right,
2: because if you're a reg, let's not. He won't tell you. Let's not go down that rabbit. <laughs> <level>. Man, mm-hmm. <laughs> bad, bad timing.
0: <laughs> bad, bad timing to appoint this
2: guy the fucking yeah. ambassador no, of all things secure. No. I think he's going to do a great
1: job. Yeah, I think for the great. recreationals. <laughs> uh,
3: I actually missed that combo.
2: No, I do think that Fedor is yeah, a teasing. really good choice here. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been involved with GG for a number of years, um, and I, I'm not sure. Uh, for what it's worth, I, I'm not sure how much this has to do with the Poker Integrity Council, right? So he's a new Poker Integrity Ambassador. What happened to the Council?
0: I, I <laughs> don't know. Question. I honestly don't know. Like, did it did it ever do anything? Is there even a Council? Was it yeah? Was it ever a thing? Is Jason
2: I, still on the Council? Who's he Ambassador? I can ask Chewy. Right. I can ask Chewy today on Valley. <laughs> was he on the Council? Chewy's on the Council. Okay.
0: Chewy, what? Nikki, P.
1: Mm,
4: okay. Not. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait
2: chewie's really on it yeah yeah fedor uh,
0: chewie Nikki, p coon davies okay so yeah i really uh, want to know if they ever did anything
2: yeah i mean well here's well the biggest problem is that uh it's it's very smart for us to have a poker integrity council it's very poor for it to be overseen by an operator Uh, Like the true poker integrity council for for what it's worth, in my opinion is everybody that's in the high stakes discord that's currently working together Mm -hmm. to speak to these ambassadors, to speak to heads of security, the guys that we had on this panel, like pads and Matt Marinelli, like that truly is the group that's representing the community as a whole. Um, And that's no, no shade at like Nikki P or or Fedor, or anybody else that's a part of like the the orchestrated council. It's just, they clearly don't have much power. What, do they, what does it mean? Right, and the, who do they represent and what can they do? <laughs> what, right? do you, what do you mean? Right, like, well, like, they don't represent a specific group. They don't play online much anymore. Almost everybody on that council doesn't really play online. Mm-hmm. Where, it's, like, yeah. the high-stakes discord, they all are figureheads in very big aspects of the online community. So, you know, at one drop of a hat, through that Discord channel, they can uh, encourage you know these massive staking pools to just like stop putting their liquidity on certain sites, and that will happen, and that will affect the bottom line of those sites. Therefore, change will occur. We've already seen change occur uh, at GG with the rake policy. We saw um, a, a, a response out of ACR. We saw a response out of GG after the super user like. Don't overlook how much power it, there actually is in being, I don't want to say unionized, but like uh, being brought together whenever you represent the larger pool as a whole, right? Like they're a small collection of people, maybe only 100, 150 people, but they represent the larger pools as a whole far more so than the integrity council does. And thats that's no shade at them. Right? It's just that they aren't really armed with anything.
4: Yeah. right. So what can you do?
1: Yeah. Uh, listen, I don't want to sound pessimistic, but I remember when ACR signed Randy, I think maybe a year and a half, two years ago, to be head of security over at ACR. Yeah. And you took the
2: words right out of my mouth, right out of my mouth. Um, it sounds and
1: it feels like it was more of a figurehead thing, because look what's happened over the last year and a half. I just certainly hope it's not the same thing with Fedor. Um, I don't know how involved he'll be with the security stuff, but um, I don't know. I don't, I don't give it a lot of faith. Not yet.
3: I feel like Randy put out a statement saying that he's going to help and do a lot of things and like be more uh, open to the community. I haven't
2: seen his Twitter since. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 don't even know if he, I don't even think Randy's still a part of ACR. I, I okay. could be wrong, um, but I know there were talks of him walking away at, uh, at the beginning of this year. Uh, in any event, like, I think that's a great example of like, how this can go wrong. Um, because i totally agree i think there was minimal to no communication between randy and the community um i think that we have very little trust and belief that he was actually operating on our best benefit uh or was able to uh make sweeping change in the back rooms um yeah. whether guess, or not fedor yeah. can is to be seen good
4: i guess the issue is when it comes to something like poker software or like new game software poker software can't just tell you new patch notes as to like security updates and like what's happened and like mm-hmm. who they've caught mm-hmm. we're in like gaming instances it's like oh like this is a bug that we fixed this is something that we fixed
2: yeah again you know we talked about this there's ways that they could be messaging better to the community they don't, they don't have to like
4: through people. well through
2: fedor first of all now that he's representative of this but also like yes they can i mean for a long period of time like I don't know if you recall, but when PADS was a part of Party Poker, they put out like a monthly letter of every bot that they caught, every dollar of refunds that they that they put back. So why could they do that, but other sides? It's, not, it's not a matter of can or can't. It's a matter of will, will or, or won't. won't. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they just choose not to because it's bad PR. Or is least, it though? Well, they believe it to be in... Again, this is like the whole... It's the same WSOP unquote, believes Big Binanti yeah, is bad. Yeah, what's good for poker, right? Like there's this whole... Aspect to these operators that they believe that their marketing is fixed, right? Like it's just concrete and will never move. This works, that doesn't. Mm-hmm. That they don't want to
1: shine more light on the cheating or more light on things that could be going right, wrong. Right? Because it, it seems the like back end, it'll hurt right? the acquisition model. Right? Yeah. But at exactly. some
2: point. When everybody's shouting from the rooftops that there's cheating, mm-hmm. it's important to fucking acknowledge it, right? Like, you can't just turn a blind eye to it and say, like, we're never going to make a statement on this because it hurts the acquisition model. It's like,
1: well, you know what else well, hurts the acquisition model? People not playing. All
2: of your community that's actually investing in you saying, like, like,
1: we don't trust. It is funny to think, like, when you, when you say, like, everybody's shouting and, like, maybe there's, maybe it's not everybody. Maybe, maybe the people that are shouting is a small group, the community the, the poker community is a small group and that uh, compared to everybody that plays online like there's a lot of people that just play yeah, that can be true. and are, not, are like kind of like out of it sure that can and be
2: true but that means that that what you're saying is that the new acquisition model doesn't come through twitter which means that twitter can now be a very viable landscape for you to message yeah right you could just share mm-hmm. your message on twitter and twitter alone and let yeah. your emails you just
4: say hey like we did this this caught these cheaters because it doesn't matter yeah like, i'm not at- saying
2: to email people who have a free account saying like hey we just <laughs> caught a dozen cheaters <laughs> on our <laughs> site you want a deposit like no of course that'd be dumb but like you know putting the information out publicly saying like look we're diligent and we are doing our damnedest to make sure that this problem uh gets corrected you know like acr uh i don't i don't want to get too much into it because uh i I don't know necessarily all the details but like we're coming up on a month since that bot ring was caught and not one single refund to my knowledge has been issued
0: yeah i think there's also a a real issue that that occurs with a lot of like corporate entities and and stuff these days when there's some kind of a PR problem, which is that they assume that what happens on social media isn't happening in the real world, right? right? Like Mm -hmm. if people are, if people are mad at something on social media, it doesn't matter because that's not the real world, right? Like, and so poker sites are like, Oh, well, there's a lot of talk on Twitter about all this cheating. Like, Oh, that doesn't, it doesn't count because you know, that's not what I'm actually seeing when I talk to people or it's not what our customers are actually saying to us in person. But these days, social media is such a big driver of what the narratives are across all of society that you have to pay attention to it. If something is going on on social media where everybody's talking about how your company fucked up, like that's a problem.
2: Right, yeah, uh, I don't know that there's a great parallel to to this pre, pre-technology, pre pre-internet or whatever, um, but you're right, it's it's like drowning out the voices of your community and just saying like, they don't, they don't matter, they don't represent the whole, mm-hmm. right? Even if social media is just a part of the whole, in a lot of instances, they do actually represent the collective. And that does become critical. And, you know, uh I think like WSOP is a great example of uh a company that maybe uh it may be begrudgingly, but they do listen, right? <laughs> They, they may do it like with their head in their hands saying like, I'm so sick of these guys. All they do is complain every year,
0: but... <laughs> fucking Twitter guys.
2: <laughs> right. But they hear the messages and they do, do their damnedest to make adjustments. Whether it takes... Sometimes it takes a year, right? Like sometimes they can't correct a schedule once it's once it's released or once it's mid uh being played and we find a bunch of issues with it right but the following year they try to do better and i i think that like companies that take that sort of feedback are companies that we should be investing a lot more in and it does seem like gg's trying to make that step forward way more so than maybe others in the space
4: at the cost of admin fees right well we'll see that's where the admin fee goes i guess
2: is it no, it goes to WSOP. Just fucking around. Your, your memes are so so like. Don't nuanced. be mad at me that or, you're they're not they're, nuanced enough. It's not bro, If I don't get it. The audience doesn't Brian get it. I can it. promise you that. Mm. Brian didn't get it. Give <laughs> you a courtesy laugh. He's in your shot.
1: No. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? Unbelievable, guys.
3: There's so many good tweets going around. Go on. Dan Smith just posted the poker org video, and he writes, "This this gives me Dylan Brooks." Shit talking Lebron vibes. Yeah, that's uh, (laughs) Uh,
2: again. You know that one? I do. (laughs) I do because I follow sports. But most of the audience probably gonna miss that one. All you need to know: Lebron, goat. Dylan Brooks getting there <laughs> not really it, it's, it's a little unfair though because like you know he's calling help me yeah, Brooks yeah. in this instance like come on Lewis man. Spencer did we, we didn't get to that one.
3: Either. Oh yeah the
1: Lewis
2: Spencer
3: tweet was funny I put it up uh, he says I've always thought we need less people in mass and more people entering the tournament area dressed as Poseidon with a marching band during day two of 100k <laughs> <laughs> it's all about what's good for poker card, right? I know okay. what's good for poker card. what if
0: everybody for day two marching in his Poseidon like all together he wasn't dressed poseidon guys he was dressed as aquaman come on sure <laughs> he was, he was aquaman in that crappy five dollar costume that's yeah. what he looked like that's right yeah.
2: yeah yeah he pulled it off really well yeah i mean uh we, we can put a bow on this and 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 here but i i will say when it comes to this notion of what's good for poker uh, i i kind of just want to re-echo what i said earlier and i wish that like specifically daniel and phil because I do think they have the biggest platforms. I think they have the loudest voices. I wish they actually did spend the majority of their energy on social media. Like whatever little bit of energy they put towards it, I wish the majority of it was with the thought like in the back of their brain of, is this growing the game? Is this good for the 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 whole of the game? It's tough, man. Rather I- than, is this good for my ego right now? Yeah,
4: but that's the tough part, right? Is because then you, they probably need two Twitters. Need like, a, like a Finsta, right? Like a fake Twitter. Yeah,
2: let them get a fucking alt, man. Let them get an alt with no followers and just shout into the ether and then they'll realize how <laughs> dumb it is.
4: Like Kevin Durant? He's going to get the alt account?
2: I didn't know he had an alt. Oh, I thought yeah. he just tweeted for Maine. No. no, no, he has an alt no, account. No, but like the point
4: being is like, it's tough to be the guy and then have people criticize you and then when you have a platform like Twitter, not say anything. For someone with you. like Daniel, so I agree with even you. even anyone, it's almost like
2: at some point, some people feel like they need to, some people don't. I'm, I'm definitely not arguing that he shouldn't defend himself and stand up for himself. I think he should. Like, uh, I hope that it's not lost how many positive things we're saying about the two of them and what they've accomplished. Right? It's just more so holding them to a higher standard. And In regards I, to
4: the dunk I, tweets, or yeah, like,
2: I think that's what it comes down to. Is like at the end of the day, we're holding them to this really high standard that they don't want to be held to. Is that our fault? No, I mean, yes, I guess, right? But like, it's like, they're just a guy. No, I get that. But this isn't the Charles Barkley, I'm not, I'm not your role model type of stuff because too, too old for my time. Okay, fine. But the point is, is that uh, when you do shit like this, where you walk in with a microphone holding a Darth Vader costume, you've, you've forced yourself onto us. To look to you as uh You'd leave us no choice. Yeah, as a leader in this space, right?
4: He's something in the space. And and,
2: and obviously like <laughs> I'm not implying that this is reflective of somebody who's a leader in the space, but what I am implying is that like this is attention grabbing.
0: That looks like a mask to me.
2: That's definitely a mask. <laughs> you think <laughs> wow. yeah, well, the, the funny little? thing is
0: though, like you know it's Phil because who the hell out el- who the hell else would do that? Who the wait, hell wait, else would do that?
3: You're telling me that Phil wore a mask in the
0: 10K main event? That's actually against the rule. You're not allowed to fully cover. Yeah, you can't. You can't conceal your identity. This is right. ridiculous. I, I can't mean, believe it. Think about all that edge he's gaining after he's busting gained- day so one. So much edge. Sure, that uh, Darth Vader costume is really giving him an edge. Yeah, it's huge,
2: <laughs> huge edge. But uh, what I'm what I'm getting at is like when you are put in that position, you have two choices. I think. I think that you can either gracefully accept it and do your best to represent the community and try to. You know, uh, grow it and and kind of give back to the to the community that put you in this spot to begin with, or you can vanish, right? You can just do what Ivy does and just be the guy without ever saying a fucking peep. I think what the problem is, is we're getting something in between. We're getting something where it's like, well, I want to be me, I want to be real, I want to be raw and authentic, but I'm also a little bit of a dick and an egomaniac at the core. <laughs> So uh, I'm going to leave with my worst self and then claim that I'm trying to grow the game. And that in particular, I think kind of sucks, right? Um, and I think like the, the vantage point that I'm speaking from is not one where it's like, well, if roles were reversed, I would do things differently. That's, I mean, who knows? I might fall uh, to the same, I might fall victim to the same things. It's more so as somebody who's much smaller than them in the community that has to look up. It's tough to always see a boot coming down on your head.
4: Yeah, this is the more the Batman quote keeps coming real, you know?
0: You either die a hero or you see yourself become the villain.
4: Right. Because, like, at some point, you know, like, game passes you by, you see a bunch of people that are really young and getting good, and it's like, well, I'm better than these guys. Like, well, are you?
2: Bro, everyone's so fucking good. Poker's hard. Poker's hard. Wear a helmet. Move on. <laughs> All right. Uh, we are going to get into We're, Strat Chat for today. Imagine speaking wearing of a Pokemon hard hot, to the poker table. Yeah, speaking of wearing a helmet, uh, Hunt <laughs> made a final table at the Venetian. We did. And uh, ran into quite the pickle against one Jeremy
0: Becker uh the chosen one if you will he really is the chosen one (laughs) at least the the deck has chosen him in some (laughs) level but he obviously plays good too like he played really good at this final table so i don't want to take anything away from him
2: okay so we're going to be examining icm from this final table uh if you want to like just lay out the framework payouts chip uh placement all the things that are relevant sure uh you and landon then can nerd out because this is definitely not my lane not your
0: not your arena all right not my
2: lane when you guys get back to chip ev let me know
0: yeah well the the good thing is we're going to run this we're only going to be able to run this on wizard through chip ev like the actual post flop sim with chip ev and i'll just discuss what the the icm sim that i ran last night for myself um actually said but it's it's a very interesting spot because of how icm changes it so essentially what happens is uh we are one of the middle stacks at this nine-handed final table um, there's it was about fifty-seven hundred for ninth, and there's fifty-seven thousand for first. So you know, obviously, decently sized event, eight hundred dollar buy-in. Um, Jeremy is uh, to my direct right, and um, we have about thirty-five bigs. He has about forty-five to fifty, so he's the chip leader, but we're not that far behind. Uh, so we have about 2.8 million at 40k, 80k blinds.
1: How many players are left, Matt?
0: Nine. We're still okay. at the, the 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 beginning of the final table, okay. basically. Um, And we get dealt two black sixes under the gun and we open to 2.5x, the reason being that uh, with the chip leader in the big blind you kind of usually want to open a bit bigger just to make it harder for them to defend and to, to sort of counter the fact that you end up having to play really passively post-flop against them. So... We open a 2.5. It folds around. Uh, there are a couple of short stacks. There's, I think, one 7 or 8 big blind stack and a couple of 12, 14, 15 big blind stacks. So some pretty heavy ICM going on. And when I ran the HRC sim for this, my risk premium against Jeremy is about 17%. So pretty high. Yeah. It's pretty tough for me to to get it in against him. But by the same token, you know, my stack can hurt him quite a bit as well. So he can't exactly just fire it off against me aimlessly. You know, he still has to be conscious of the, the stack that I have. So it's an interesting spot. We open 2.5. Like I say, he defends and he defends after using a time extension, which I thought was interesting because obviously that kind of places it or places his range in kind of a territory where he's more likely to either be defending something that's right at the fringe of his defending range in terms of defend versus fold or, Something that he might consider mixing three bets with at some frequency. So, interesting spot to, to see him use a time extension. He calls, and the flop comes 965 with two hearts and one diamond. So, we flop middle set on a board that also allows for a flop straight. And uh, if I scroll back to the flop, uh, I have the turn up here on wizard. So, let's go back to the flop. What I've done is I've actually locked it as a range lead for him on the flop here. And the reason for that is, number one, that's what he did in practice. He leads for 125k into 520k. And the second reason I've done this is because when I ran the ICM sim for this on PO, leading his entire range is exactly what he's supposed to do here. Um, So it's a really interesting spot where the ICM factors involved uh, heavily shift this board to being one where he gets to play a lot of offense, he has a really big risk advantage over me. He gets to he gets the lead range. And part of the reason why he gets the lead range is I am basically not allowed to play raises here. Um, the ICM sim had me pretty much calling 90%, folding 10%, and never raising. So I've basically replicated that in the chip EV sim here as well. And it's a, a pretty straightforward flop spot as a result. It's relatively clear what my continuing range is going to have to be on flop. It's basically anything that has reasonable equity against a quarter pot bet, just folding a lot of clubs and spades, basically, and then continuing with a lot of ace highs and flush draws and all that stuff. But I, I don't get to raise anything. So we've locked in those two things. And now we get to the turn, which is the king of diamonds. And before we start discussing the turn, um, I guess I want to just turn to Landon a little bit and and see if you have any thoughts about the, the ways in which ICM is, uh, is going to influence this sort of situation and, and whether that idea of like leading boards like this with your entire range, is this something that you feel like you've seen in some of the sims that you've run as well?
4: Yeah, so <clears throat> most spots on your chip leader and you defend and board comes pretty low or paired to your advantage, call it the non-ace higher, mm-hmm. king high dry boards. You're going to have a lot of leads as chip leader. Because the other person being in position is not incentivized to put in chips against you. Exactly. For the most part. Yeah,
0: so that's that's really what it's going to come down to, that if he did check his entire range here, I would be doing very little c-betting. You just know?
4: check back almost pure. Yeah,
0: it, would, it probably would be. I didn't run a version of it where I forced him to check everything, because that's not what he did. But I think he recognizes in-game here that ICM incentivizes him to be doing a ton of leading. I did expect him to maybe not necessarily lead his entire range here but certainly lead a lot and i wasn't surprised to see it and i immediately as soon as i saw that lead i recognized that this is a spot where i don't get to raise right i don't get to put in raises here because i have very few hands which want to actually stack off here i i don't really want to stack off with my over pairs they're not good enough to stack off with with the icm influences here and I don't have a set of 5s, so I literally only have set of 9s and set of 6s that can stack off. I don't have 8, 7 suited. Uh, this range here that I've locked for myself or given for myself on the, uh, in the preflop phase is b- pretty much an exact representation of the range that the HRC sim gave me. It did want to fold 6s quite a lot preflop. It was right on the borderline, um, but I opened it in practice thinking that this would be the worst pair that I would open. So it might be pretty marginal, but... In any case, the, the sim that we've got here pretty, pretty accurately represents what I got from the ICM sims that I ran. I open, you know, he defends, he leads his entire range, and we call. And then we get this King of Diamonds turn, which is a really interesting card. Before I check out what the uh, strategy actually looks like for him here in, in the Chippy V version on Wizard, um, what kind of approach would you expect him to to be playing here, Landon, or what, what would you expect to see from from the sim?
4: I think it's another spot where, once again, the reason why Chip Leader leads is because Gun9 isn't trying to put chips in the pot. Mm-hmm. So on a king turn, uh, gun nine's going to have some king-axes, but once again, those aren't going to try to stack off or put Did them in chips. Gun9?
0: Yeah, it's under the Gun9. Under the Gun9. He's just he's doing that thing that young people do um, where they shorten everything.
4: Right. Um, Gun9. <laughs> so anyways, like... He's not. He's not trying to put in like king queen for multiple streets as well. Mm-hmm. Being like you're not trying to get in king x for multiple streets. You're kind of cool with winning the pot now and like a check 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 small bet if mm-hmm. uh, board board is clean for you. Yeah. but I think turn strategy for him is going to be a good amount of small bets, like he still wants to protect and get value from some of his 9x, -hmm. some of his 6x with the draw, some of his 5x, like 5x, 7-5 off Mm -hmm. typed hands. And then he probably has a polar size as well, if you're giving two sizes, where he has two pairs, he has straights, and he's just trying to bin you when you have King X.
0: Mm, Interesting. So that's a a little bit, uh, it's a bit different to what I saw both from the chip EV sim and from the ICM sim. So if Mm -hmm. I, if I bring up the chip EV sim here on the turn, um, if I can just get that to, to come up, yeah. Uh, the chip EV sim wants him to check at a very high frequency. So I've given I've given it 10%, a two thirds, and it, it's obviously got the all in. Sure. Uh, it wants to use basically two thirds or check, but it doesn't really want to bet very often. The ICM sim that I ran um, wants him to basically two thirds or check. It never wanted to really use a small size. And I think it has a little bit to do with the fact that even against a small size, a lot of my hands have pretty easy folds and a lot of them still have pretty easy continues. Like the, the King X, the um, you know, the pairs, the flush draws, the straight draws, etc. All of that stuff is going to have an easy continue against a small size. And a lot of other stuff is going to have an easy fold. I think that's, that's my suspicion here. Um, the interesting thing is that in practice, what he did was he bet 10%. He bet... 80k. you bet one big blind into about uh 770 K. So just over 10% basically. Yeah. I, I just feel like if I was go- choosing a small size,
4: I'd try to be targeting like the offsuit a with a heart. Or yeah. Like that's, with heart. that's the
0: stuff that he can maybe target here. Like the, the ace jack offsuit one heart, ace you know, jack, ace queen,
4: mm-hmm. uh, ace 10. And I think I'll just choose a little bit bigger of a size. Cause versus that size, it's, it's nearly a check. Hmm. So like there's just I guess a little bit of a difference between trying to force indifference from that versus signal a check.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it um it was it was definitely an interesting spot for me, and I I had to in order to get a a reasonable read out of the ICM sim, I had to actually node lock him to be betting ten percent at like a quarter of frequency or some kind of a frequency that that made sense because it was it was a zero percent frequency play in the ICM sim that I ran. So when I when I did that um you know we got a a result that i'll talk about in a second but i think the the interesting question here as well is once he does bet the 10 percent size in practice if we think maybe that's a a size that isn't necessarily that likely to appear in theory what's your instinct about what you think would be good to raise against that size here because we obviously have some hands that want to stack off but we don't have a lot and and the exact threshold is a little bit unclear
4: Yeah, tough one. Um, I think I'll just check back all of... Well, by check back, I mean call the one big blind with pairs between the nine and the king. Mm -hmm. Like tens, jacks, queens. Don't really see much incentive to uh, put a raise in as you can just call a bet on the river, hopefully, or check back and win. Because end of the day, if river's a blank goes check, check, and you have queens and win, that's a good result for you. Yeah, it's a great result. Um, I think that there's some king x that... The, the real issue here is, like, not that your hand isn't good enough, but if you're not good, you're risking a lot by getting ninth instead of being top 3 in chips mm-hmm. or whatever you were at the time. Yeah. So the hands you probably want to raise are hands that you're kind of cool with raise folding if you somehow get click 3 bet on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say a hand like that being, I guess, aces, if you have it, you unblock the king. And, but maybe ace-king is just better because you block two pair. Um... But like then again, like raise folding this feels really nasty. Mm-hmm. I think I'd still be okay with it though. And then we're still gonna have sets that we want to put money in with. So I guess you mirror that with some decent equity flush draws as well that you can get some folds from. Call it nine x or six x or whatever mm-hmm. he's doing with with that portion of range. And then if he finds somehow like a jam on you and you have not that great with flush draw like it's okay to find a fold mm-hmm. but i wouldn't want to use like nut flush draws for this
0: yeah yeah so what was really interesting here i'm just bringing up the, the chip ev version here in a second so we can check it out but the, what was really interesting here in the icm sim that i saw was that even though i the raise size that i used in game was i raised to 525k with my set of sixes which is about a half pot raise the so even though it's a half pot raise the icm sim actually wanted to Be very polar with what it raised, in that it was only raising two pair plus for value, and then it was bluffing with like a lot of the stuff that was like ace ten diamond heart, ace jack diamond heart, um a few of the flush draws, but not a ton of them, and um a little bit of like the like the ace eight of clubs type stuff that just has like a gut shot that doesn't care about folding to the three bet jam. Um, but it was it was doing a pretty minimal amount of raising, uh, even versus a 10% bet that was coming from a range that was a bit wider than what it should be in practice. So the ICM sim was like basically saying, yeah, you have some hands that want to stack off because you have a set of kings, a set of nines, a set of sixes. King nine suited is in there as well, but it didn't want to stack off wider than that. Like ace king was almost pure just call for the ICM sim here. Whereas if we look at this chippy V, uh, do we have that on the... Yeah. Yeah, there we go okay if we look at this chippy sim, you can see that it's much more happy to raise right the chippy sim is happy to raise like king eight it's it's raising like eights and sevens at some rate it's happy to raise uh like king queen off at some rate it's king just concentrated suited. on getting max value for its hand precisely yeah it's pre- it's very focused on being completely okay with stacking off with a king mm-hmm. but the icm version that i ran on po uh didn't want to do that right it it was much more narrow in terms of how how willing it was to get it in here because it's just so much more easy for jeremy and icm to to be able to just pile a ton of pressure on me um and and put me in a lot of really tough spots when you know if i if i was raising like ace king of clubs here and you know he jams like it it sucks it's a really annoying spot if he just jams there because of how easy it is for him to have a bunch of hands that have tons of equity against Mm. ace king of clubs can you elaborate why
2: that why that sucks um because with one to come obviously those hands in a chip ev sense are printing money yeah right so if those hands are printing money in a chip ev sense it's not like as if in an icm scenario jeremy's range can be morphed into something that puts those hands in a, a negative ev scenario for chips right but obviously, uh, in tournaments, we're not specifically playing for chips. So why do we want to pass
0: on these situations that are printing printing money in chips? it's ah uh, it's all about the risk premium. So with my risk premium being seventeen percent against Jeremy here, calling off my stack is going to require me to have a much higher threshold of equity mm-hmm. against the range that gets so it you be- in.
1: so when you're referring is 17 you basically need to have 17 percent more equity than chip ev yes to continue. exactly
0: that's what it means okay. um now in this spot because there's already a certain amount in the pot and i wouldn't i mean i'd be risking all of my remaining stack but it's not all of the stack that i started the hand with the risk premium that's placed on me for actually calling it off once I get jammed on here is not quite going to be exactly right. you will measure it
2: based off of where you, right. when you raise. Yeah. So like you can see that the Precisely. raising threshold here might be something in the neighborhood of like 55% equity. Yeah. Um, whereas like now in ICM, you might need something like closer 70, to 70%. 70, yeah, exactly. So yeah. it
0: basically is going to shift the threshold for hands that want to raise up. It's going to shift the threshold for hands that want to call it off up. And it's also going to mean that a much greater region of hands is in a spot where they really don't want to allow Jeremy to rejam and just put them in a nightmare spot by, by you know, being all in. So realizing equity becomes really important mm-hmm. and even you know, missing out on the opportunity to potentially win a bigger pot with a hand like Ace King of Clubs is fine because of the, the burden that ICM places on us, basically.
2: How do you take this in-game? so you obviously don't know that it's 17 percent in this situation Mm -hmm. uh how do you estimate this in game to kind of figure out what that threshold is
0: i think that what what tends to happen the most for for me in game is that you you kind of shift from you 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 think about the the region of hands that's going to be like reluctantly getting it in in chip ev Mm -hmm. that region of hands that reluctantly gets it in in chip ev is now not getting it in in icm a lot of the time when there's a lot of pressure on you and the stuff that is happily getting it in in chip EV starts to reluctantly get it in. So it's almost like you, you kind of calibrate based off of how, how comfortable it feels in in chip EV to, to get these hands in and just that that basic awareness of this hand is a clear get in versus this hand is like a frustrated get in. Um, is that and, partly why you didn't play flop raise? Uh, no, I played no flop raises because I was very confident that ICM would not want me to play flop raises. I see, I see. That I need to have my sets in my calling range to protect Mm -hmm. because if i don't have sets in my calling range my calling range is massively vulnerable against all the aggression i expect to face from him look what Ace king does right right precisely yeah Yeah. so the i i I deliberately i knew immediately as soon as he led the flop i was like Mm -hmm. i've run these spots i know i play no flop raises here Mm -hmm. because the the icm burden on me is is too high for me to ever be able to bluff raise flop and it's also too high for me to ever be able to stack off with anything other than a set there like if i raised like aces on flop and he jams like aces just isn't doing well enough to call off an icm there yeah
1: that's really important to conceptualize is that you have to since uh, you know your your check back since since your hands that continue need mm-hmm. to be so much stronger then your your uh, protected check back range also needs to be so much yeah stronger.
0: exactly you can't right. i can't just like keep raising my overpairs and mm-hmm. then when he jams on me think oh shit now i have to fold like right. It would be even more of a disaster to just raise fold aces here. Mm-hmm. So I'm just playing pure call because I know that my my range just doesn't want to play any raises at all.
2: It's interesting to me because you mentioned that um, <clears throat> your bluffs would, would perform poorly uh, based on the ICM pressure. And I would think the opposite. I would think that your value would suffer the most and that your bluffs would actually, uh, because of the risk premium, kind of benefit you more. In the sense that you have to play fewer streets with them and you get to realize the equity at a greater rate whenever you come through a raise, but it's coming at the cost of your value just getting absolutely obliterated.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I guess it's, I'm just looking at it from the perspective of if I can't raise for value, I also can't bluff. Right, right. Exploitatively, you could make an argument of like, oh, I can have some bluff raises there, but the problem is that this is such a it's a board where he, his range has such good equity anyway mm-hmm. that it's really hard for me to even raise and play later streets effectively because it's it's super difficult to just like if i if i raise something on the flop that i'm bluffing with it's extremely hard to just blast off against a completely uncapped range on this board when he he chip leads you know right. yeah. so i'm I'm just playing complete defense playing a pure call on flop and folding like 10 percent of the time and then when he, when he plays 10% on the turn, I, I kind of recognize that I have some hands that have to raise. I do have some two pairs. And I, it's basically the, the threshold is, is where he's, like, I'm happy that he's getting it in for value with worse hands, right? So in chip EV, when I raise, he's going to get it in for a pot-sized jam, probably with, oh, it doesn't actually, okay, that's interesting. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to only allow him to uh, 10% on turn. I'm gonna get rid of that 66% and it's gonna pretty much have him 10% or check. Um, And this is hopefully going to give him a bit more of a well-rounded range. Oh, at least he's got 4%, okay. Nah, Um,
4: you you bet less because you're always getting continued on. Right,
0: yeah, I guess so. So at least now he has some kind of a range where he jams. Yeah, okay, so in 9% of the time. And when he does jam, it's gonna be, look at the filters down here. It's gonna be basically straight sets, two pairs, and then he's got some combo draws, nut flush draws, you know, some stuff like that is is jamming here. The straights are obviously gonna be pretty vulnerable, so it makes sense to jam those. Um, But yeah, he's he's jamming a bunch of draws here in chip EV, and obviously that's why if he does jam, and we're looking at pure chip EV, uh, we're calling it off with like king eight, because we've got pair plus gut shot. We're calling it off most of the time with ace king, depending on exactly which combo we have. Uh, Aces is pretty happy, except when we have Diamonds, uh, Diamond Heart because we block all the flush draws. Um, so we're pretty happy getting it in with one pair here. We're even raised calling it off with like, you know, uh, Ace Nine of... Well, oh no, against Nine of Spades is folding. Never mind.
2: It's interesting to me that uh, a dynamic is created where you're not meeting MDF.
0: Well, the MDF, uh, the, the existence of Risk Premium completely fucks with mdf
2: oh like, well yeah. i i just meant we were looking at the chip ev sim there when, oh, he, right. when he jams we're only calling half the time oh, getting I Two see to one.
0: Oh yeah um well that's that is MD, mdf right he's betting pot we only oh, ha- we only have to right, right, half right. the time yeah yeah
2: sorry sorry i was thinking 33 percent of the time yeah yeah no that uh he's yeah, the pot yeah exactly
0: so um there we go. We've got MDF up on the screen. Thank you, Guapo.
2: So you're exactly reaching yeah, MDF. Yeah, we're pretty much hit, like I, exactly reaching MDF, yeah.
0: precisely. Yeah.
4: Good link for it too.
0: Yeah. So um <laughs> nice, nice job, <laughs> That's funny. Um so the 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 next thing becomes, you know, we we're we're gonna have a very um you know a very polar raising range, even though we're using only a fifty percent raised sizing. And it's because we don't necessarily have the ability to just go geometric with intent to get it in on the river because there's going to be quite a lot of river cards where even our turn value raise range doesn't want to get it in, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we don't want to go thin on a river diamond, river heart, river seven, river eight. Even, like, a river ten where you can have, like, stuff like queen jack of hearts. That's not... It's not ideal to just, like, rip with a set on the river and expect to get called by two pair because it's just you know, he, he has a risk premium too. You know, he doesn't want to risk like a big chunk of his chips as well. So ICM incentivizes a, a pretty medium sized kind of raise from me here. And, um, obviously he, you know, he does have a, a chunk of hands that jam and in practice, what ended up happening is he, he does jam, you know, we snapped it off. He has the King eight of hearts and drills the Jack of hearts oh. on the river and, uh, and we get ninth. So as a rough one to see, um, I was a little, I was a little surprised he jammed King Eight of Hearts. Honestly, I was a little surprised because I feel like that hand has enough showdown value that you don't necessarily need to jam it when you have a King plus all that equity.
2: It seems like that's the type of hand that you would want to, that you would want to put into a range
0: that calls and then open rips a lot of rivers. That could very possibly be the case. Yeah. I also, oh, it does. Oh, wow. In Chippy V, it actually does jam. But I guess in Chippy V. Uh, I guess what why it jams in Chip E V is probably because it can put like Ace King in a tough spot, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm. What doesn't mm-hmm. really exist, but sure. What, what What do you mean? Like it's like proportional range wise. Oh yeah, yeah. I just mean like if he does end up there, it does. Uh, <laughs> I guess it's it's mixing, so yeah, it doesn't really exist. So it's you're right. It's not really super important, but it, basically the 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 lens through which jamming King Eight of Hearts on the turn makes the most sense is if he thinks I can raise like ace king of spades on turn and then and he can fold yeah and then yeah. he can like make that stuff fold but I would never raise ace that, king yeah, of that would f- be, spades on the turn then. you would have to expect
2: yeah. a huge blunder in which case now you're almost jamming king eight suited for value because you think you could make such big blunders
0: yeah right so like <clears throat> I would like I say I was a little surprised I was surprised by the 10% on the turn I was a little surprised by the jam with king eight hearts it, it felt maybe a little bit like uh, like he sort of like I say like either he expected me to raise like a king and Uh, be in a a shitty spot when he jams or he maybe just like wasn't exactly sure which line this hand is supposed to play through and just figured like i have tons of equity i'm just going to be all in i I
2: think the latter is what tends to happen and these are really great learning moments what i I have
4: infinite equity moments yeah Mm -hmm.
2: like these situations where you have hands that like they're hard to misplay because they're so high up in your equity distribution that uh what ends up happening is you you take a line that may feel a little bit obscure or off and you just live with it because it's the easiest decision and you have so much equity you don't like, care i have
1: a pair of puzzle flush draw how mm-hmm. bad can it be right but this then, is like, then this is, is sh- my last couple in the mucks. yeah right? exactly kind of this kind of- of- is my every session
2: <laughs> and the thing is is that right. the more that you run it with those hands, um you, you won't be punished because it's not about those hands. Those hands do have enough equity where you can't misplay them. Right. The reason why they're critical hands is because they're keystones to your overall strategy, mm-hmm. right? How you choose to play the rest of your strategy should be reflective of those hands, and the issue is that the rest of your strategy is not going to possess equity that's such a layup.
0: Yeah, I think part of, part of why in his spot I wouldn't be jamming King A to hearts there is because if you, if you jam your King X of hearts, then every time you call and the river comes a heart, you never have flushes anymore because exactly, it's, it's yeah. really hard to just bet call, uh, except for maybe if you have five x of hearts. But then I would prefer to jam five x of hearts and call king x of hearts, right? Because his king x is way better of a bluff catcher than five x. Mm-hmm. So
4: the, the issue when you jam a hand like this is when you do get called, you just you're gonna have equity, but you always get it in behind.
2: That yeah. that's gonna be true pretty much of a three bet jam range here, I think, with the exception of like his nuts. And that's the issue that I think he's running into that's the worst is... Uh, he's
4: putting a merged hand into a polar line. Sort of. Uh, well, King X of Showdown, his bluff should no, be no, no. like 7X uh, of Hearts. Uh,
2: obviously, you're right. You're, you're obviously right. But my point that I'm uh, I'm trying to arrive at is that uh, no matter what he chooses as his bluff range, it's it's going to be those hands that have pretty high equity, but always... It's very difficult to find Matt's race folds is what, I, I'm, I what I'm ultimately say, getting what, what at.
0: What hands, hands do you folds have, have to be ace um, with a heart, ace-10 with a heart, ace-jack with a heart? Like, yeah, ace the heart, ace the heart. like any, any hand that continues the flop that has one heart, one diamond. and then Or just gutter, no draw, like ace-8 of clubs. Yeah, exactly. The the ace-8, the ace-7, like they're, they're going to be there. And now yeah, they fold versus the jam. Right, right. They're,
2: they're there. They're just like pretty low frequency, I guess. Mm-hmm. And right. so like now what you ultimately arrive at is maybe the 10% block wasn't good. Mm -hmm. right because i think that that would be my ultimate takeaway is that i recognize that even though i'm betting with a chip or sorry i'm checking with a chip basically what ultimately happens is uh when i when i i guess i don't want to say uh instigate this raise but you know (laughs) effectively whenever you whenever you incentivize matt to put a raise in with some portion of his range you now set yourself up for a bet three bet jam and the problem is is that Despite the fact that your bet was relatively meaningless in, in accordance to percentage of the pot, it's still a bet.
4: Well, you you force yourself to play against a polar range from Hunt exactly because Hunt is only raising really good hands.
2: Exactly, can stack that's, off, that's hmm? my point. Is or a straight nothing. Hunt's, a Hunt's, Hunt's bet range when check to will be slightly wider than Hunt's raise range, even when only facing ten percent. So when
1: you reaggress into a polar range, you put yourself in a position where they call it better. and
2: Yeah, it worse. and what I'm so. getting at is Jeremy's entire range is pretty much merged, right? Mm-hmm. Like he he. He has pulls to this range, but it's tough because the low-end stuff is just way too low in equity to bet three-bet jam, right? And it's like
4: a nine. It's yeah. like a six-seven. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. you know, no, and, no flush draw. Right. Right. And,
2: and these hands just don't really function, right? They're, they're just not going to make for good bet three-bet jams. They're punts in ICM world. So you do need a hand that's high enough up in the equity distribution that you can justify getting it in, like King-8 of Hearts, Maybe seven eight of hearts. uh, If the seven was a non-heart, whatever. Um, But the point is, is that like now, whenever you start to unpack that, it's like, well, those hands don't really want to do that, right? They they just want to arrive at the river and realize their equity to the fullest as cheaply as possible, and that's why we bet ten percent to begin with was Mm -hmm. to freeze him. Right, but that plan failed, and now we have this like equity dense range that also can't jam because Hunt's raising range is mostly like sets plus. It's
4: almost like the I'm gonna hope you don't raise. Like oh shit, he raised. Now I can go all in because I'm gonna yeah. hope he folds. But the issue with the issue with hoping that he folds is that you're folding out the bluffs and you get right. by better. I I truly think that and it's fine because you have equity, but still you
2: yeah you kind of exactly and and that's the biggest takeaway here that I think uh, the listeners can can pull from hedge. this. Is you that, will... yeah, uh, I think that these are some of the biggest learning moments in, uh, in No Limit Hold'em, whether you're playing tournaments or cash or, or what have you, is scenarios where you put a bunch of money in with a hand that should be relatively high in equity, and you get called by what appears to be top of range. Once you start to work that backwards and realize that, like, Hunt's pocket sixes here are not top of his range, right? right? No. It's, like, it's like middle... To upper two-thirds of his range um to, honestly maybe it's closer to middle because i don't know that his bottom
0: is too much worse do you, do you mean middle of my raising range on the turn jamming when, oh, when, call, calling, sorry, calling off yeah yeah yeah, okay. yeah. yeah you're calling oh, off. yeah right? yeah i mean literally six is king nine is the bottom it's king like my, yeah. the call off range is is exactly king nine suited which is two combos Set of kings, set of nines, set of sixes.
2: Right. That's okay. Good. So if that's your call off range, nothing else. If that's your call off range, and then right? I guess and now ace, we look. King of
4: hearts, right? If you're raising turn.
0: That doesn't even raise. I don't plus think. plus flush draw. That, you just peel. That, yeah. Just yeah I for think sure. that was that way was, too strong. That was just peeling because we want we don't want him to ever like not we don't want him to ever fold like bet fold a trashy flush draw. or right. Something.
2: So mm-hmm. now, if you compartmentalize that and you say, okay, well, your call off range is your top of range, right? And sixes is, is at the bottom of the top of range so to speak. What's the rest of the range look like that now raise folds? Well, it's it's disproportionate because there are so few hands that encapsulate that raise fold that now sixes are actually much, they're, they're pushed much closer to the bottom of your overall raising range on the turn, period, mm-hmm. right? There's just not a lot of hands in this raising range to begin with. So once, once you run it with king eight suited here and you see sixes, you either say, oh, that was really unlucky, or you take a beat and you say well, hold on a second if he has sixes here in this particular spot and uh didn't seem all that comfortable with it how many worse hands can i expect to be in this raising range it's
4: yeah you i know? think it's just the compartmentalization of strategy where if someone's strategy is when they bet one big blind i'm i have to raise ace king or he thinks that right. i've induced this raise exactly. from king x yeah that's seeing sixes here is unlucky Versus the he's not supposed to raise in the first place. This is a polar range exactly. where I'm going to see really like top end value and then a proportionate amount of AceX, like Ace Broadway hard bluffs. Now King Aid's like, this is really bad. Yeah,
2: that's the big aha moment is when you go from I induced that to happening or, or I, I induced that action and I got unlucky that I ran into a set to oh, actually. He isn't really incentivized to raise with very many hands at all. I just laid him a super good price and he's probably not just going to yeet it off with all of his hands that have equity. Therefore, maybe I went wrong somewhere either in the lead or in the bet three bet jam. Um, But I do think that like these high equity hands offer a big learning experience because running running the equity is fine. You're you're gonna be fine. It doesn't make a difference. It's all gonna come out in the wash. And you cover.
4: So if you lose, yeah. you're still in the tournament. Yeah,
2: because like big picture, you just have a ton of equity. So like running it, it's it's like never folding kings preflop. It's fine because your equity's so high. Like just running it for a lifetime, you're gonna do just fine. But. What you want to look at is the broader strategy. What other hands are encapsulated around this one particular hand that has high equity? How do your middle equity hands perform? How do your low equity hands perform? And that's where you'll start to see the failure points of like, oh, well, I actually couldn't just run it here with everything. You know, Mm -hmm. if I got it in here with uh, king, queen, that i uh bet bet with and got raised and jammed expecting like you know some hands to fold some worse to call some draws to be in there yada 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 i'm actually just fucking dead 100% of the time yeah and that's a problem
0: i'm gonna very quickly see what happens if i lock myself to never raise anything that's in this middle region. Mm-hmm. Right, so you so, just have like dog shit or yeah. like a set. So <laughs> if I lock myself to only raise sets, two pairs, and then whatever bluffs the sim wants to, to raise. The very narrow range, uh, it's gonna be maybe some combo draws. Now in Chippy V, it wants him, wow, okay. It, <laughs> it blocks King, so. Yeah, it, it basically, okay, King 8, King Eight of Hearts is not jamming, King Eight of the Other Suits is mm. jamming. Um, maybe to deny the flush draws that I'm raising if, if if the sim wants me to raise flush draws, but it, it doesn't want him to do a lot of 3 betting basically. Pretty because, much, none, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. He only big, has a straight or a combo, draw. right? Yeah. Because <laughs> the, literally because of my some four three um, in there. Because, yeah, I think the reason why
2: he's jamming the king yeah. eight is just because. <laughs> um, go back to his range. Yeah, sure. Really quickly. So, well, the king
4: yeah. eight blocks you hunts two pairs that raise the turn. Right. right.
2: It blocks the two pairs, and he doesn't have a whole lot other eight x. Uh so it, it's it's basically that double factor, right? Like it takes away the king nines and king sixes that hunt well, I don't know if he has king six, whatever. Uh, and it also blocks eight seven, yeah. which is really critical. Mm-hmm. So basically the entire strategy for Jeremy is built around the nuts. Yeah. Like well the nuts want to be all in, so we need to find something to complement the nuts. And it's just a couple combos of King Eight there.
0: Right. And I guess if I do raise the combo, well, I see the it's still Chip E V, so like this the sim is still it wants me to, I tell you what I should do is I should lock myself to never raise a combo draw on the turn either because that,
2: Yeah, you're never raising now, like jack ten of hearts Right,
0: bit that I, I forgot that the sim is going to like default me into doing that a lot on mm-hmm. the turn. If I, if I lock certain categories, it's going to keep other when, if I keep other categories unlocked it's going to uh, it's going to use like the combo draws here as its bluffs. So basically let's just say we're never raising like flush draws. We can raise gut shots on the turn but uh, we're just going to keep a lot of stuff unlocked. I'd probably um,
4: still choose like a gut shot with a, with a diamond or a. It's heart. cool
0: that
2: I, I didn't realize you could choose like uh, acqu- actual equity buckets when it comes to node lock. Oh, locking.
0: yeah, you can do a shitload with the filters. Yeah, yeah you can really do all cool. sorts of things with the filters. Yeah, it's now really, he plays zero raise. Yeah. yeah. Now See, now it, it doesn't want him to ever raise. You know, if right. I if I raise basically a very polar range and I'm getting it in, it still has me. That's, wow, that's wild. It still has me calling it off with ace eight for some reason. I don't know why that is, but. If I'm basically only raising the uh, the two pair plus for value and um, basically not anything else, uh, it just doesn't want him to play any jams, and it's because um, we're just kind of in this—he's oh, five or something—is in there. Uh, we're just kind of in this position where he he doesn't benefit from from jamming into a a polar range. You know, he doesn't benefit from. Jamming into a range that that just has so many hands in it that have an easy call off or an easy fold, you know So he's now back to yeah, he's back to never jamming and Obviously ICM is gonna slightly alter this because he does have the ability to um, He has a, a little bit of extra leverage in ICM in theory, but it's still going to come down to a question of my range being very polar and if my range is very polar, then it, uh, it just doesn't result in that many difficult decisions for me, which is obviously benefiting me. So I uh, would be very interested to hear exactly what Jeremy's thought process was here, but I don't know if we'll ever, uh, if we'll ever know. He may, not, uh, he may not chime in, but we'll see. He shouldn't chime in. He probably, <laughs> he probably shouldn't. I, I have a suspicion- Keep grinding, young man. I have a suspicion that the main reasoning that he did this was because he just figured that I probably do raise like too much ace king and stuff on the turn. Like I think he might have just been thinking, well, most people don't really recognize that ICM doesn't incentivize them to raise ace king of spades or whatever on the turn. Um, but you know, I I do know that I do know I'm not. Yeah, I don't.
2: I don't play tournaments. I don't and- even
4: know how much you peel flop even. It's great.
0: Okay. Yeah, you would with backdoors. I think sure, but. I, the the sim that I ran did have me peeling. Uh, I think it was all ace ten plus, plus. Um, and then the the king queens and king jacks that have a heart were peeling, and then the king queens and king jacks that also that have. Back yeah, you want to have like
2: some delayed bluffs. When, yeah. whenever so he goes was like bet check. It was
0: because it was a range lead for him, and his range is still like moderately wide. It was uh, it was still peeling the ace kings with no backdoor there, but obviously that's. Appealing to to fold on a lot of turns right so it was an interesting spot and uh obviously running the icm sim here is a bit tricky when you have to run it through hrc and then put it into po but hopefully uh within the next couple months gto wizard is going to release post-flop icm That's <laughs> you say hopefully I, I i do say hopefully
2: <laughs> i gotta uh, tell you man uh i i honestly i hope for it just for the sake of me feeling like i'm competent at tournaments again it's so wild like uh, all of this seems so complex to me uh, as somebody who understands the game through a very specific lens right mm-hmm. like it just it, it really taints the lens through which you see the game because again you just you're always constantly playing with these thresholds where it's like well I know that at this stack depth for this pot size uh, with this many bets behind um, my stack off threshold is around here And it's like now that we just have to arbitrarily like raise and lower that stack off threshold based off of some, uh, you know, mechanic of the payouts, it becomes really challenging to, to, you know, kind of fix all this stuff, especially because so many things become dynamic in the variables, right? Like your ranges now become incredibly Mm -hmm. dynamic and it's not as easy to like you know you get accustomed to just like bucketing ranges off of positions right so Mm -hmm. it's like i know what an early position range looks like and you can monkey with the format as much as you want but i'm gonna know how to expand and contract them right like if you add a big ante i'm gonna know where i should start pulling more hands from if you Mm -hmm. remove the ante altogether i'm gonna know how to contract whatever um but whenever you get into these dynamics where it's like the stacks are so variant uh, you know, sometimes the chip leader is to your left, sometimes he's to your right, sometimes you're uh, stuck in the middle between two larger stacks and all this other stuff, and all of that's going to impact the way that you get mm-hmm. to enter pots. Uh, it, it becomes really, it, it becomes difficult because to me, I don't see a framework through which we can just like make logical conclusions.
0: Yeah, and that's uh, you know, honestly, that the element of every single spot being different is why I love tournaments so much. Mm-hmm. You know that. The fact that every spot you're, you're brain solving for a new set of variables because the stacks are changing, the payouts are you know you're you're going through the payout list and all that stuff. That that's what I love about MTTs and um, building those strategies on the fly. And the more you the more you learn, the more you study, the the more you start to understand how to take these variables into account at different times. And it, it is hard to simplify down to this is what your range is in every spot from this position because. it's going to alter you know my under the gun range here is going to be very different from my under the gun range if I have the check the the chip lead or I I have the stack that Jeremy has and he has the stack that I have if we swap the stacks I'm going to open 2x and I'm going to open probably an extra five or seven percent of hands maybe more yeah and he's going to defend a totally different range and it's a completely different spot so it, it just fascinates me and it's why I love studying mtt's for sure
2: yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's it's why you hate it. Oh <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's well, no. Cause I, I certainly am very much of the mind that the best version of poker is the one that we can't answer. Uh, oh, yeah, that's, yeah, I, sure. I, I for sure I'm here mm-hmm. for street poker. I, I think that like the more that we're freestyling, the better. I think what I dislike about it is that in this particular model, um, the people who disobey it actually hurt me indirectly.
0: Oh yeah, right? Th- that's so, that's annoying.
2: Yeah, so I don't like the idea of me being able to uh actually accumulate some level of knowledge that should garner me an edge, but it doesn't necessarily because the next person who disobeys it could potentially just wipe out my edge.
0: Well, or you also or don't like to it. play anyway.
1: good hands passively, let's be
2: honest. The
0: the other the other yeah, the <laughs> interesting part Tons is is you yeah. can start adding that element into how you like you can account for other people's tendency to punt in your own decisions.
2: Right. I mean, if right, you, right, if yeah. you
0: are expecting the people around you to punt,
2: I think Chewy's you, you really great change at this. You how you play. You know? uh, I, I think Chewy's, Chewy's one of is, the yeah. best that I've seen at this in the sense that, I, you know, I've watched him not just big final tables, but I played a fair amount during COVID with him in uh, on the WSOP site and I, I've watched him from afar. Uh, he just, he's really fucking great at recognizing like when the environment isn't conducive to uh, what theory wants you to do and just like over adjusting in a way that may not be intuitive to everybody else. Like I watched him, I think he just like open folded, uh, sevens from like the hijack or the cutoff at a final table where it was just clear that there was like too much shit being thrown by the people to his left. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like he was like a middle stack first was obviously massive by comparison. So it was, uh, it was one of those like really top heavy type of events. Yeah. Um, but he had like a a stack that was able to be navigated, but he had people to his left that were just going to fuck with him. Mm -hmm. And it was like, well, if I open sevens here, I'm going to have to run it kind of thing. And he just said like, you know, in, I don't know what the model is necessarily going to say, but I think I'm not supposed to run it here. Like, I think I'm disincentivized too. And I watched him like crawl all the way back from being like, you know, five of five, four of four, three of three to just win the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And it was like predicated off of that initial forward. It's like, man, I just... I just don't have that in me
0: well the the (laughs) good news is there's the opposite spots as well Mm -hmm. there's there's the spots where you have chips and you get to absolutely rampage people who are doing things they should never be doing right right? and those are the that's the element of icm that people don't think to study people are always figured out thinking about like oh how do i find the spots to make the big icm folds like you, you need to be focusing on how to find the spots where i get to open 85% of hands and C-bet 100% of flops and mm-hmm. shit like that. You know, yeah. that's fun too.
5: <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, that is fun. Uh, you get in the right cash game. You get to do that all the time. Well, <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, I, I, if you can if you can play 100, 200 stakes and open 85% of hands and see bet 100% of flops and still make money, you're doing very well.
2: Yeah, yeah, maybe you can't do it on the <laughs> aggregate, but there there are definitely spots. You know, there might be a, a spot at the table that you could probably play 85% of that's hands. Fair, and, that's fair, that's fair uh see 100 but yeah uh really fascinating stuff appreciate you bringing it uh to the to the pod today happy to be here uh that's gonna do it for us don't forget that we do uh have an academy coming up in may matt hunt is going to be leading it to the tournament academy we only run one a year so if you guys want to get prepped for this year's wsop uh, be sure to head to academy.sulfurwide.io check that out we did have to cancel the March Academy we had a conflict of interest but there will be another Cash Academy in May right before the Tournament Academy as well um, Landon is on his way to go play Bally's Big Bet today it's a coaches stream they're going to be playing 1025 no limit some of the best in the world no big deal Tyson in the mix mm-hmm. uh, so be sure to head over and check that out I had other things that I wanted to plug, but man, I forgot what they were. <laughs> so that's going to do it for us. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow, 11 a.m. Pacific. We have a very special guest in Dorian Yates, six-time Mr. Olympia. Uh, big shout-out to Craig Tapscott, who was able to make that happen. He's going to be uh, – Craig is going to be live in studio. Dorian is going to be calling in from Spain. So if you guys have any questions, be sure to head over to our Twitter account at OnlyFriends_Pod. underscore pod. Uh, We have a thread started there. Put your questions in there. I'll be sure to get as many of them out as I can tomorrow when we speak to Dorian. And yeah, that's going to do it for us. We'll see you guys all 11 a.m. tomorrow. Later, squad. Peace.